Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, musician turned entrepreneur and co-founder of 6th Ave Homes and 6th Ave Storytelling. Over the past 10 years, I have launched multiple successful businesses and have become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and marketing. I've been on a personal quest to unpack what it takes to make and grow a great brand. One thing that I've discovered is that stories are powerful and that storytelling has the power to set a brand apart. Join me as I dive into the stories of the heavy-hitting leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and business owners in our community to hear their biggest wins, greatest losses, and their best business secrets. There's a story behind every great brand. Welcome to Stories with Soul. Stories with Soul is brought to you by my company, 6th Ave Storytelling. In 2020, we launched a marketing company on a mission to encourage entrepreneurship and make starting and growing a small business easier than ever before. Since then, we have helped hundreds of small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their brands by giving them the tools, resources, strategy, and support they need to craft and share their stories. If you are thinking about launching and growing your own brand, schedule a meetup with me today. I would love to talk to you. Head over to 6thAvStorytelling.com and let me show you how the storytelling approach can transform your marketing strategy. Welcome to today's episode. I have, this is honestly a conversation I've been wanting to have for a long time. I feel like we, we just met recently, yeah. but I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I have, I have Rusty Reed joining me, who is the, the probably you, you have done a ton for Fort Worth. Uh, but but he is. I'm gonna read read the bio. But he's a CEO of Higginbotham, uh, and you were named president in 1989, which I want to. That's probably gonna be where I'm gonna start. Young pup, 27 wanna, years old. I want to yeah. dive into how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at, at which time he implemented the firm's single source service platform, where customers could obtain insurance for all financial services under one roof. Uh, you also led the spirit spearheaded the adoption of Higginbotham's employee ownership structure where essentially all employees got to own pieces of the firm. Uh, you have grown it from 12 employees uh, to it's now one of the nation's 20 largest independent firms in the whole country. Uh, how, many, how many employees do you have now? We're knocking on the door about 3,000. That's so yeah. crazy. Isn't that nuts? That's so yeah. crazy. So just celebrated the 75th anniversary of the firm, and just Higginbotham is now a Fort Worth institution. You, you began your insurance career in 1983, joined in Higginbotham in 1986, uh, you are also very involved in the community. I, ha I have a big list here <laughs> of yeah. all that you have your hands in. You're you're a member of All Saints Episcopal Church. You're the trustee and chairman for All Saints Episcopal School. You've served as, as the board member and past chairman for Casa Manana, an executive board member for the Davy O'Brien Foundation, past chairman of Fort Worth Young Presidents Association, current member of World Presidents Association. You're a board member of Goosehead, which is also a massive, massive, one of the biggest insurance companies in the in the country, member of Rivercrest Country Club, the Fort Worth Club, Fort Worth Exchange, trustee for TCU, a board member for the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. Uh, <laughs> I don't know when you sleep. A little busy, yeah. A little busy. I'm getting tired just hearing about all this. Uh, but you you were also, you appeared in Dallas's 500, 500 list. You were listed in, in the Hall of Fame of Insurance Business America. You were named the top private executive by the Fort Worth Business Press, one of the 25 most admired CEOs by the Dallas Business Journal, the Chamber of Commerce uh, Executive Leadership Award. You were CEO of the year at the Insurance Business uh, America program. Just a, a lot. Just he he heavy hitter. I'm excited to dive into that story. Uh, and then you have been married to your wife 
for 38 years. We were talking about that. To Molly, you have beautiful kids. We have had Sainty Nelson, your daughter, on this program. So, so Rusty, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on here. How, how does that feel just hearing all that? I'm tired. I need to go take a nap. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. That's awesome. So, so wh- where I want to start is you you got into insurance in 1983, but then you became president of the company in 1989. So you were still in your 20s. Mm-hmm. How, how did that happen? Well, t- kind of a fun story, actually. Uh, you know, it's funny when you, uh, the big joke in our family is I turned 60 last year and now I'm 61. But when I turned 60, I referred to I'm 40 again, right? And yeah. my, my family just laughs about all that. So it's hard to believe I've been around this long. But long story short, going way, way, way back, kind of maybe to the beginning, kind of an interesting thing is I uh, went to school at North Texas and, and um, originally started off in pre-med. And if you're in pre-med, you know, it's very heavy in science, it's very heavy in math. I did really well in both until I get to organic chemistry, which is kind of the, you know, it, it kind of weeds out folks, if you will. And shockingly, I did well, but I literally didn't understand how I did well. And so I remember I went to our biology dean at the time uh, and said, hey, I'm, I'm kind of at this crossroads. And he was, it was very interesting how he led me to do what I ended up ultimately doing. He said, listen, kind of just go through your family and explain, you know, uh, what they've done growing up. And I said, well, my, I'll start with the Reed side. I said, my grandfather Reed was insurance. I said, my dad is deceased, but he was insurance. My mother, my grandmother on, on my dad's side, uh, was in retail. And I said, if I flip to go to the other side of the family, my mother's side, my mom is a, was a psychologist, a therapist, uh, and her mother was a homemaker, but her father was advertising. And he literally goes, you need to go across the street. You need to meet Dr. Thornton. They have, an, they have a business program, but underneath that, there's finance, there's real estate, there's law, there's marketing, and there's insurance. And so I, I followed his lead. I mean, I'm a young kid. I don't really know what I'm doing, candidly, and go across there. And I began to major in business and study in insurance. Well, one of my fraternity brothers, Ed Coker, came to me upon graduating and said, hey, I know you're putting yourself through school. There's an opportunity to go work for Ramey King and Menace, which is what he had been doing. You, you know, you kind of take morning classes, but you work from one to five. And so that's what I ended up doing. And a wonderful man, Terrell King, was my mentor there. And and upon graduating from North Texas, I basically had three job offers lined up and Asked him, you know, what would you do? And he said, go work for American General under J.D. White in Houston. So I just followed his lead and kind of started there. I got transferred to Fort Worth uh, uh, in, I guess, the July, mid-July 1985, um, which I was real happy about. J.D. knew I grew up in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So and, you're from Dallas? Uh, originally, yeah. Okay. And so he he was like, I know you want to probably get closer to home. Fort Worth's not home, but it's close. And, and it was kind of funny. His parting words to me were, if you uh, 
screw it up, I'm going to transfer you to Baton Rouge, which I now have a great firm and partner in Baton Rouge, uh-huh. so it wouldn't be bad. But, uh, you know, when you're young and you're wanting to get close to home, that was uh, that kind of gave me the writing on the wall, do well. And so I had the great fortune of building out this market for American General. And in that process, I met a wonderful man, Bill Stroud, uh, who was the nephew of Paul Higginbotham, and so uh, December of 86, he hires me as the 12th employee, and um, how, how, how that's how I got started. I was uh, 24 at the time. So you're this 24-year-old kid. Yeah. Oh, Insurance yeah. is in your blood, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you wanted, where you that, wanted yeah, to do it or I, not. You know, it, it, it's really interesting, uh, Jamie, because if you kind of look at our firm, we've we've got a number of folks that my age and younger that parents were actually in insurance and, you know, no different than it probably is as a musician, you end up having, you know, musical talent in your family or acting or, or doctors or lawyers, et cetera. And so it's really interesting when I look at some of the lineage in our firm, we've got a lot of people that parents were either on the insurance company side or actually had parents that were insurance brokers and then now roll the clock forward. Here they are as well. Mm-hmm. I'll assure you when you go to the, <laughs> to the, uh, the, you know, the, you know, if you're a senior or a junior in college and you're going to the jobs fair, there's not these long lines in the insurance uh, <laughs> side of the equation, but it's an incredible industry to be part of. Uh, it's in, 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 you know, it's very interesting for me when people, we hire people all the time and they come in from, We've had professional, you know, baseball players of late. Uh, Sean Tullison, who was a pitcher for the Rangers, just joined our organization. I mean, we've had all kinds of folks from all kinds of industries. And it's 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 kind of that aha moment when they join us. They they go, uh, oh, wow, had no earthy idea, you know, that this is what this industry is all about. So, you know, I've, I've effectively had two professional jobs. Uh-huh. American General Higginbotham. I don't know any better, but it's it cer- certainly been good for me and my family. Yeah, so. for sure. And so, so twenty four, and were you were you were y'all married at the time? Were you no. So we we were I think engaged. I forget when we got engaged, but we got no. Molly and I got married November 29th of eighty five. So, so like I got transferred July of eighty five. Okay. We were at that point already uh, engaged, and then we got married. That November. And did y'all did y'all meet y'all met in college? Yeah, we met in college. Kind of a kind of a cute story I'll share with you. So back to Ed Coker. He he likes to, if you met Ed, he likes to take a lot of credit for any of my success. Okay. Be it personal or 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 uh, otherwise. I'm great, great friend and partner at, at Higginbotham today. But And y'all have been friends and partners. Oh yeah, forever. Since college. Yeah, he was he was the president of our fraternity when when I went to North Texas and there was a group of us from Hillcrest High School that all joined a fraternity called Theta Chi and and uh, Ed was the president at that time and they it's funny they called us the Hillcrest Cupcakes. Yeah. Where they came up with that I have no idea, but I need to go on a shirt. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, but This episode is sponsored by the Fort Worth Business Press. As a Fort Worth entrepreneur and small business owner, the Business Press is my favorite source for news and updates about the entrepreneurial community in and around Fort Worth. I read their email newsletter literally every day. It's always full of insights and stories that really matter. Are you ready to be more connected? Sign up for their free newsletter at fortworthbusinesspress.com. But... If you're like me and the newsletter just isn't enough, you can become an insider. With the code STORYTELLING10, all one word, you'll get a discount on the insider membership. Insiders receive exclusive access to special content, 24 issues of the Business Press delivered to your door each year, and discounts on event registrations and more. 
Join me and the Forward Business Press in staying up to date on the people, companies, and issues that matter most to Fort Worth. Funny story. So our fraternity every year would have a luau party. Mm-hmm. And we'd always invite our sister's sorority, which were the 80 Pies. And Molly was a year younger than me, so she was a, a, a pledge at 80 Pie. And at the end of the evening, there and we'd, we'd transform our whole backyard. I mean, you hear these stories, what happens in our case. It wasn't a huge backyard, but we'd put a river through it and put bridges over it and, you know, line the fence line with, with bamboo and, and whatnot. And so anyhow, at the very end of the evening, I've got my arm around Ed Coker and I pointed over at Molly and I go, you see that girl over there? That's who I'm going to marry. And of course, roll the, this was in, and had y'all talked no, y'all, a, a little bit, okay. a baby bit. And, uh, but this was God circa 1981 and, you know, roll the clock forward four years later, we get married and, you know, here we are almost 38 years later. I guess she's still putting up with me. So uh, lucky me for sure. Years, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a that is a, a a special thing that is you know it's become rare rare. Oh, days. I know, I know. It's uh, so is that is that so, like are you that type of person that it's like see that that's where I'm going. I I yeah you know it's funny I uh, I really do kind of they laugh at me in our firm because I'll uh, for years I've kind of put a stake in the ground and said that's where we're going to head and mm-hmm. normally and my partners now because we've done it for so many years and we've exceeded our goal you know that now they claim I'm sandbagging and I'm like guys to grow 20.4% a year year over year for over three and a half decades there's no sandbagging yeah. in that that's that's always a stretch there's a lot of thought that goes into it but I, I am kind of that guy you know I mm-hmm. I you know, I think about, you know, trying to identify clients that we really want to go after. We'll put our sights on them and come hook or crook. As I like to say, we were fortunate enough to maintain them. We have, you know, great people within our organization. I do kind of the same. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I do a lot of volunteer work now, not necessarily on that front. I go, Hey, I want to be part of that or be part of that. It, it Mm -hmm. kind of seems to land in my lap a little bit, I Mm -hmm. guess, early on you know, on those types of things you get asked. And once people see, not only do you get involved, but you really engage and aid in that, in their effort, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of get asked again and again and again, I guess I'm bad at saying no, maybe, uh-huh. but, uh, anyhow, no, nah, but uh, it's always kind of been my, you know, get something in my sights and I, I go pretty hard. You yeah. go, you go hard. Yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. I would assume, but so that story of like that, she's gonna be my wife. Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. My assumption is that is is also in line with how you have run run, run the business. So, so, so you're twenty four year old kid, you know, fresh out of year or two out of college. Yeah. How do you become president in five years? Yeah, right? I mean, well, even less than that. I guess it was it was eighty six. So three years later. Three years. Yeah, later. yeah. So it Were was you just it, really good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's so funny. I, I I can shut my eyes and recall so many conversations Bill Stroud and I had through the years. All really good. I mean, again, a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, but it, it was interesting when I came in, into the company. They had what was called these underwriting programs with two different in, companies. And basically, he said, you're going to run these. And uh, it was interesting. We recently, Higginbotham hosted an event with my dear friend Mike Berry in Hillwood uh, where we had the founder of uh, Folds of Honor come in, Dan Rooney. Mm-hmm. And it, he, he, he kept reciting this thing, you go before you're ready. 
And, and I think Bill had that intuition about, hey, here's a young man that I'm bringing into the Higginbotham family, and he's just ready to go before he's ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really did. I mean, I, I had these two programs that all of a sudden kind of I'm responsible for. And it wasn't, candidly, much after maybe six months to a year, Bill loved to travel, him and his wife, Lou, uh, loved to travel, and, um, you know, he more and more kind of would hand me a little more responsibility, a little more responsibility, a little more responsibility, and keep in mind, we were small. I mean, we had, when I joined, we had 12 employees. We bought the business. We had 24 employees, and, uh, I, again, I, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll keep probably intertwining some funny stories along the way, but no, I, rem- I remember when we bought the company, we, we bought it through a an ESOP, Employee Stock Ownership Plan and Trust, which made all the sense in the world because, you know, if I was the 12th employee and call Bill the first employee, there was kind of 10 other employees that that really were there before me. And I've always been a big fan of you, dance with the ones who brung you. And so the ESOP structure that's good, that's was... Good yeah, yeah. The ESOP structure was so great because it allowed us to really share equity amongst those folks that had built the firm to that point. But the other thing that I saw when I was with American General, oftentimes if you didn't have equity, you know, you'd pack up your bags and become a competing firm. And so I thought, okay, how do we retain those that we have? But more importantly, how do we keep and 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 recruit people once we get on this bit of a roll? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the ESOP structure just nailed it for us. But back to kind of a funny story along those lines. So I remember in the transaction, there were basically two people that had to guarantee the note. It was me and Bill Stroud. Well, Bill Stroud was get, getting the proceeds, so he he had something to pledge as collateral. Mm-hmm. Me, conversely, Molly and I had still at that time, I think, were renting an apartment. Uh, we we had a Volvo, but her father co-signed. I mean, I had zero, <laughs> if you will. Right. I had my name and kind of my name only. And, and uh, you know, here I am co-signing on a loan for a million six sixty eight three thirty two. And I remember. You remember the I number. I remember the number. Oh, yeah. And I remember Bill, Str- or, uh, Bill Adams, uh, who at the time was a banker with First City. Uh, and Bill, I remember looking at him going, now, Bill, why in the world do you want me to sign on this note? He goes, because if you default, I'm going to own you for the rest of your life. And I thought that's plenty of motivation to make yeah. sure not only we default, but we maybe accelerate and get this bad boy paid off early, which is what we did. Um, so when you say we bought the company, like the, the well, it so what in an ESOP structure? Y'all, the Twenty of y'all? Well, I it really only me and Bill okay. were financially at Hard. risk. But the the facts of the matter are in an ESOP structure, what ends up e- ultimately e- e- happening ESOP means. It, pardon me? ES- ESOP means? It's an employee stock ownership plan and trust. And it's not to get too complicated, but it's a it's an ERISA vehicle that allows you to effectively do a leverage buyout. And as you pay down the debt, what happens is the shares get released and they get released formulaically to all employees. So the facts are the matter that, that once we started paying down the note, we all became shareholders. Um, and, and, you know, once you're a shareholder now, if the company didn't do well, then your value would poof, go up in smoke. So hence why I always say we bought the company because yeah. really the, that first payment who, we made, who thought of that? 
Well, it's it's a great question. So we ex- like, how did you come we, up well, with that we ex- concept? We explored. Oh my gosh! So, so all, the the owner comes to you and says, "Well, I want re- I really, want you to have it." Really, Bill Stroud had made the decision that it was time for him to kind of monetize his lifelong investment of Higginbotham because he bought it out from his aunt Edith Higginbotham uh, in the mid '60s. I think, if I remember the story correctly, you know, Paul Higginbotham. Finds the organization 1948, hence our 75th anniversary. Bill comes in in the early 60s to basically be Paul's succession plan. Paul ends up with cancer, dies early. Bill's left with the decision, do I be partners with my aunt or buy her out? And he buys her out. Um, and, 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 and is this the same as like the Higginbotham store? No. Okay, so uh, great question. We get asked family. that all the time. No relationship okay. at all. Okay. Um, but, but, but anyhow, Bill... Once I'm kind of really running the company and and I think he at that point was and I'm probably pushing the envelope, hey, I want to do this, want to do that. And I'm sure he was saying at the time, Okay, young stud or buck <laughs> or knucklehead, um, if you want to do that, you you know, you need to buy me out and then it's yours to but to do and was, it. And was that on your radar? Like uh, Yeah, I was I was kinda like, like I, I wanna be I, boss. I, I, I was like I I've got I had a vision of, you know, really not just being a, a small agent within Fort Worth community, but I, I again, kind of those stakes. I want, I thought, you know, we've got the ability to really build not only the largest, but all likelihood, maybe one of the best firms in Fort Worth. Right. And so you thought we were going to be the largest in Fort Worth. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Cause even I, though you only had like 12 employees. Yeah. I know. I just knew that we, we could get there. I, and, and a lot of it was just around, you know, the, the, the atmosphere at that time, we knew who the larger players were. I knew that, again, I'd, I'd worked with some of them and you're like, um, I'm, I'm when I was with American general. So I knew kind of what that, what was great about them, but also maybe some of their weaknesses. And so um, and I and I really believe two things. Number one, if we kind of you know put a client in the middle and really provided them products and services that supported them holistically as a business, we would do quite well. Hence our single source model. Uh, and then I also believed if I was going to not only keep who I have but attract and retain really great talent, I used to always say find the best and the brightest, you know, I, the way I'd be able to attract them is with equity, which was much different than traditional models. Traditionally, was anybody doing that? Not really. We were a bit ahead of our time in that regard. Um, and so, and you know, I, you know, the ESOP model, you know, and, and we explored, we kind of, that kind of landed in our lap, truth be told. I mean, we, there was a, a guy named Ron Lent that worked for Weaver and Tidwell at the time. He was a consultant here locally in Fort Worth, and and ESOPs were just starting to emerge. And for a professional services business, I mean, it was spot on. Mm-hmm. It enabled you to transition ownership from maybe a single owner, a group of owners, to all employees, which, you know, in our business, the assets go up and down the elevator every day, right? And so it was just, it's, it's not like we had this, you know, building we were trying to acquire or this manufacturing plant. I mean, it was a people business. And yeah. so as we explored going down to Bank of Commerce and me co-signing on a note and transitioning the business there that way to maybe trying to go raise outside capital. Uh, this just literally was one of those scenarios 
perfect for what we were trying to do. When you got presented with that, you're like, that's, that's, it solves a lot of my problems. Oh, uh, and, and it was great for Bill. A lot of wonderful tax um, benefits for him. It was great for the company, the structure by which we paid back the debt. We got to deduct principal and interest because it was called a, a distribution. I mean, all these nuances that when the dust settled ended up being great for us. Yeah, pro- and it kind of shaped the y'all's career. It, it, it really did. I mean, we, we looked up, and I'm a big fan of differentiation. And so two things that it would enabled us to do is, you know, we became a, a, a completely wholly owned business by all employees. And it, it also helped us really build out early on one of the business lines we weren't in was employee benefits. And it now enabled my two partners, Jim Hubbard and Michael Parks, to really start building that business out. Um, not only gave them a lot of incentive because they now were owners, mm-hmm. but it also allowed them to attract and, and, and retain a lot of great people so that a, weren't with the business so at that time. It was a time. motivator. Oh, huge motivation. Now I got skin in the game. That's right. Which, which candidly, Jamie, I mean, here we are today. It's the same song's second verse, or maybe now third, fourth, hundredth. I don't uh-huh. know, but it, it really is. Motivator when, and attractor. You're oh, big time. Better. Yeah, we all the time we've got folks that are working for maybe some of the larger national publicly traded brokers, and and those are great organizations to work for, but they don't typically get equity. You know, they kind of get maybe traditional stock options once they get to a certain level. But in our firm, I mean, for me as the chairman and CEO, down to the receptionist at every office, have, you know, opportunity to have skin in the game. And I can tell you, it's it's interesting. I was just with our chief operating officer, Mickey Shepard. We have a managing partner meeting once a quarter, and he and I were sitting next to one another, catching up on a whole lot of things, uh, being a little disruptive uh, sometimes in those meetings. They're like, would y'all, you know, be quiet over there in the corner? But uh, it, it's very interesting. He said our turnover, both voluntary and involuntary, is only 7%. And I was like, well, how does that compare? And he goes, well, if you look at the just all businesses in Fort Worth are like 11 to 12%, our industry is higher than that. So, you know, it it proves kind of in the pudding. Uh, And then we recently were named one of the best places to work uh, in the in the industry by the insurance journal we've we've had a number of wonderful accolades you were reciting some of them earlier and I just think it's you know first and foremost the vision of Higginbotham for our employees if you just look at our mission vision and values mm-hmm. is the mission is to exceed expectation of our employees our vision is to be the best place for our employees to work and our value says to be family to our employees and so you know you, you have to really believe that. You have to also live it. Um, but if you just think about the employee ownership component to Higginbotham, I mean, we're setting people up not only to, you know, have a nice living, be able to earn a nice living wage. I always say it's about cash flow on the front end, but it's also about what do you have to retire on the back end. And our and our stock ownership has really enabled us to be able to provide both to our employees. And so if you go back to does that exceed an employee's expectation? The answer is absolutely. You don't have that opportunity in, in all businesses. And, you know, if you think about, well, how do you how do you measure that? Certainly retention is one way, but when you get these nice accolades, that's another bit of a validation that you're going down the right path. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I want to I pause you there.
because you. So I, I actually wrote this down. I found this. I found this in like an article from I think 2016 or something. Your mission statement. I was gonna, I was going to ask you about it. So I think the the first thing I want to point out is is one. You just spouted that out without reading anything. You 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 know that by heart. You know a lot a lot of companies have core values or a mission statement. It's on a piece of paper on a wall somewhere. Yeah. Nobody knows what it means and what you know. Integrity. Then it doesn't. It's not really a thing, but you, you know, you, you can tell that that is a framework or a truth or a guiding principle that you probably say a lot and you yeah. probably think about a lot. So one, I, th- I think like great leaders have a clear vision of here's who we are, here's what we believe, here's why we do it. Pe- people buy your why. So I w- one, I want to point that out. And then two, that also like reinforces, see that girl over there? That's, <laughs> that's yeah. my wife. Yeah. You have a very clear stake in the ground. Here's what we are going to do. Yeah. This is our vision. This is our mission. Uh, and the third thing that, that I think is really interesting is the customer is nowhere in that. Your your mission is to exceed expectations for our employees, mm-hmm. not our customers. Our vision statement is to be the best place for employees to work. And our value <laughs> statement is to be a family for employees. Like that's very counterintuitive for a business because businesses are about making customers and making money and making profit. And this is like, we want to take care of our people. Did you, who came up with that? Are you a small business owner or an entrepreneur? Do you do marketing for a small business? If so, I have something that I want to give you and it's totally for free. We've put together a free resource at 6appstorytelling.com slash download. And it's the secrets, it's the tips, it's the tricks, it's the tools of the trade. It's literally everything we do at 6 Storytelling to help small businesses grow. Go download it today at 6 storytellingcom slash download. Well, yours truly. Okay. Now, I can tell you, uh, I have a wonderful uh, lady that's been with us a long time, Christina McGee. She can always, she's one of the best writers I've ever found. So I can come up with these great thoughts and ideas. And boy, she can put pen to paper and make it look pristine. But, you know, in, 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 and in fairness, you know, it always, in our mind, and in my mind, it's always started with employees first. Without my employees, I've got, I don't have the service to provide. You know, I don't have the relationships with our carriers to maintain, mm-hmm. and I don't have the wherewithal to give back to the communities that are so great to us. So in fairness, both our mission, vision, and values, it starts with employees, then it's exceed expectations of our clients, mm-hmm. then thirdly is to be partners with our carriers, and last is to be generous to our communities. But I've always just believed in my heart of hearts that without great employees, I mean, that because again, our assets, our assets are our people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, I, I say this all the time, you, you either have to subscribe to the theory that, that our business truly is a relationship business, or it's not. I really believe it is. Now, we're, I mean, technologically, we're way advanced above and beyond our peer group, but but it still starts with that employee, that employee that cares, that employee that almost has that, uh, you know, uh, servant leader type mentality, if you will. And, and if you can get that element right, I think everything else just automatically falls into place. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting through the years. I've read so much stuff. Um, it's, 
it's insane. But, you know, Jack Welch used to even have kind of the four boxes of, you know, employees. And, you know, on one end of the extreme, you're like you have rock stars and people that really buy into the, you know, the mission of the firm. And the other end, you have guys and gals that might have been rock stars, but they're, you know, they're rogue. They're they're kind of against things. And he was always saying, get rid of them. Yeah, and then you had they're, moder- they're producing, they're getting stuff done, that, that, but, but they're not bought into the that's culture. That's not bought into the culture, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, we, as we get larger, I mean, it, it's, I encourage our leaders to listen. I mean, you know, it takes one bad apple to, to spoil the whole bunch. And I always refer to Higginbotham as the golden goose that lays the golden eggs for the employee shareholders. And, and I'm like, take care of the golden goose, you know, take care of the golden goose. And so that's that's a, that's a very much in our world, a people dynamic. That's so counter. I feel like most business and, but you, but you, you had to have had that realization or that conviction in when you took over the company because you you bake that into the way the company is structured yeah to take care of employees and so so part a large part of your success is is culture oriented oh like have great people attract great people take care mm-hmm. of great people when you do that that sounds altruistic it is altruistic yeah that the yeah way. but it also is the most effective business vehicle you can do as well yeah like it's going to make you the most money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, think, think too, you know, if you can, if you've got great people that are taking care of great clients or, you know, providing great service to our great clients, then you're going to keep those clients. And then because of your business model and your customer service, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to be able to add new clients. And then in our case, we don't have to make these ridiculous, we are very profitable as an organization, but we don't have to make these crazy profits to appease some third-party shareholder because it's our employees. We just want to, we want to make a reasonable profit because that goes back to benefit our employees. And that reasonable profit makes them very happy, mm-hmm. makes them, hence our retention rate is off the charts. Yeah, that's, good compared to our peer group. insurance where yeah. people are kind of bouncing between. Uh, all the time, yeah. Because there's, you know, we, we feel blessed to be one of the top brokers in the country. But I think people don't appreciate it. I mean, there's, there's somewhere on in the neighborhood of 35 to 40,000 independent insurance agents and brokers in the country. And for us to, you know, be here in little, not little Fort Worth anymore, what we're almost yeah. the 12th largest city in the country. But, you know, we, we, we started here, you know, when we weren't the 12th largest city in the country and our growth trajectory has been literally phenomenal. phenomenal. You said 20 something percent every year. Oh yeah. It's 20.4 is literally our compounded annual growth rate since we launched our employee ownership journey in 1989. It's the same every year, 24.4. It's, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> is that your lucky number? Well, when you it, go to Vegas, well, well, cra- yeah, the, oh, I'm not a gambling table. guy at all, but no, it's funny. So I've got a, a great partner, our managing director of finance, a young man named Wes Snow. And, and Wes is the one that, that anytime I'm on calls, you know, with the financial markets or capital markets or whatever, you know, he'll always, he'll always chime in. That's why I have this number up here. He'll always go, oh yeah. And our, you know, compounded growth rate is 24 and it's up from 19.6 and it's up from blah, 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 blah. So exactly. it's a, uh, but yeah, great. Just, you know, you, you, you Jamie, it's, it's funny. I mean, I think, and I, and I would say this with all my my senior leaders in our firm, and, and for that matter, all. I mean, we don't take any of this for granted. I'm telling you, we're the most 
we, we bleed humility. We're most humble group. I and mean, we're very aggressive. We put, we're very golf oriented. Uh, we, you know, but, but man, we, we just pinch ourselves. Who would have flipping thought this business that, you know, we all kind of locked arms in 1989 and said, let's do, let's go do this. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought we'd look up and here we are today, you know, spread across 16 states, over a hundred offices and knocking the door of 3000 employees. I mean, we're just, we just can't believe it. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I have had some people say, well, you know, Rusty, if you would have owned a hundred percent of the business like Bill Stroud did, like his uncle, Paul Higginbotham did, do you know, do you think you would have been able to accomplish this? And I would just unequivocally tell you no. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny. I'm, it's always funny. I always have these things in my head, and I love when I read something that kind of validates it. And I remember reading an article not that long ago, and I wish I had the visual to show you because it, it really does lay it out. But it, it kind of stated about growing businesses, and I forget, it was in some management journal. And long story short, it said, do you want to own 100% of a grape or a slice of a watermelon? Mm-hmm. And I would tell you that's what's happened. I mean, we we have this big watermelon, hence Higginbotham, and we all have little bitty slices of it, but it's much greater than that little bitty grape, yeah. if you will. And, and and I think in our business, oftentimes, you know, you see people that they build it up to a certain point, and their only option is to sell the business because otherwise there's not a way for them to monetize their uh, you know, their lifelong work. And, and, and it, and it, you know, when we bought the company, I mean, you know, we were a little company doing a little over a million of revenue and now we're almost a million seven in debt. I mean, it, it's hard for people to, you know, you've got to really believe that you can build and, and, and sustain the business, uh, to, to go and, you know, take on some leverage to turn around. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big step forward. It may, I remember Bill used to have this wonderful Bill Stroud that is that used to have this wonderful saying is he'd always go, Rusty, God takes care of children and idiots. (laughs) I'd always look at him and go, well, we must be a bunch of idiots then. So uh, you you have to, you have to sprinkle a little fun in with some of the, you know, the moments of terror, if you will. So we, we, you, like I signed the dotted line. Uh, we were you? Was it easy? Was it like I'm assuming now? You're like this is. Well, I think maybe the benefits of youth is you're a little. You feel you're a little more bulletproof. Mm-hmm. So it was much easier then. I would tell you it might have been a little more difficult if I was the age I am now, mm-hmm. having to because you know now you're at the. You know I always looked at it from the point of view of. Of, and, and the way the structure was, we had 15 years to retire the debt. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. it was unrealistic to make things happen. But without growth, we would have had an issue. And that was what we were betting on. Excuse me. I was betting on myself. I was betting on my young partner, Jim Hubbard, that I'd brought in before the transaction occurred. My Shortly thereafter, Michael Parks. Shortly after that, Mary Russell. I mean, mm-hmm. these people that were really part of the early Hig days, we were really betting on our ability to not only maintain what was an amazing company, but really building it going forward. And I think as you get older in life, you you don't, you know, it's not about those gambles or bets as yeah. much. So I think but probably you all, being young you, you was also, good. You also, you had less to lose. I mean, it's like, oh, you didn't have anything to lose. You, I had nothing you, to lose, the, yeah. You remove... You know, I think except for the 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 one thing you had is reputation. Yeah. 
ride and and, and, and the people people who are a hundred percent the people I mean I thought of my Lord I mean there was moments 1990 was a bit of a challenging year for us because we went from a company having no debt to having debt mm-hmm. and it we had to we really had to kind of tighten our bootstraps a little bit um, in our belts because we I think we thought well we can just keep running the business the way it had been run but we we had introduced something new which is debt payments you know it's kind of like rocking along and never having a mortgage and all of a sudden now you got a mortgage mm-hmm. you better if your spending habits were such that you were spending more than you're bringing in yeah. you got a problem and yeah. and and it was it was something that I was able to identify and 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 we made some corrections that we implemented towards the tail end of 90. And literally, though, from that point forward, many of those things that we put in place are still surviving uh, today. And, and and it's just allowed us to be what, very what, fiscally. What, what kind of things did you put in well, place? Well, just like things like cut out expense accounts and cut out, you know, a bunch of unnecessary salaries and, you know, really just focus on you know, for those that had the ability to generate revenue, you know, that should be the basis by which they make their earnings, not all these things above and beyond that, because they were going to be employee owners. And so if they, you know, create alignment to fiscally run the business, and if you run the business well, because you have your stock, your stock's going to go up, right? And then those that were more on the support and service side, make sure you take better care of them than maybe you were before. I mean, sometime when you run businesses, people get in a little habit of, hey, I'm going to get a little more expense account, or hey, I need to get a little more on the salary front, or hey, I'm going to join this country club and all this. I, I've implemented policies literally back in 1990 where if you do really well, you should be earning enough where you can go get all those things. But we're not going to run that through the business. That's mm-hmm. going to be your personal expense. And, and, and it's interesting. You kind of create alignment around let's focus on what matters most, which is being a fiscally responsible business where we can engage wonderful employees, keep them around long term that will do a great job servicing our clients, do a great job partnering with our, you know, various trading partners, our insurance carriers, et cetera. And that's, we put that model in place in 1990 and man, it has served us well for a very, very long time. It's, it's interesting hearing you've made some of these fundamental principles and frameworks that have, are still, y'all are still running with. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, I, I'm assuming now is very different. You got 3000 employees. You are in leadership, but, but back then were, were you producing still? Were oh yeah. You still selling insurance. Oh like- yeah. And I, and I'm still very much involved in many of those elements even today. Now I've, I can't do what I did back then because I, you know, we're, we're not only, you know, do we have 3000 employees and they're relying on me to make sound strategic decisions, yeah. et cetera. I've, I and mean, we've also been rather acquisitive, uh, back in 07, we kind of launched our, what we call our best in Texas strategy, which at, you know, kind of made us a dual growth business. So we grow not only organically, but also by bringing in new partners mm-hmm. in new markets and helping them grow. So I'm very involved in that. Um, but how were you balancing working on the business and leadership and I'm leading people and I'm making you know, looking at the numbers, and I got to go out and sell. Yeah, what's well, funny? So I, How did you I, do I, that? I kind of figured out on the selling side. I figured out the the game for me was more geared around. You know, I'm establishing good relationships with folks. By reputation, we receive a number of wonderful opportunities. 
but but once we pick up that particular client, I'll I'll remain involved more just kind of at a macro management level, but really make sure I've kind of handed over to a teammate for them to really manage the day to day. And and that's really what I've done personally. Even, even back then you were able to do that. I started doing that literally back in the kind of, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007 because we were we, we we were on a, quite a growth trajectory and so it provided that balance. Now, Jamie, that being said, Molly would tell you this is clearly the way I'm wired. I'm one of those guys you dump all you can on me. I mean, some people, you know, they hit, you dump too much on them and they break. Mm-hmm. I like when people dump a lot on me and it just, it gets me to think I'm a problem solver. And so it's like, okay, good. Here's the challenge. Now, how do I solve for that you, challenge? You like running. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think in our business, well, no different than your business. I mean, I think in all businesses, one of the elements of leadership is to lead by example and so for certainly for those that are in the sales side, kind of the, the client acquisition and maintenance side of our business, I think it's probably real healthy that I'm very engaged to this day in the acquisition of you're clients. Still, you're still talking with the clients? Oh, 100%. Really? Love it. Yeah. And, and, and think about it. What it allows me to do is make sure that I'm not disengaged from what really matters. And I always say there's two kind of clients. There's there's some of us at Higginbotham that serve the external client, right? And that's very straightforward. That's and you know, in insuring Jamie Ice's business as yeah. an example. Y'all, y'all have insured all my businesses <laughs> yeah, for a yeah, long so, time. And thank you, by the way. And so really there's those that serve, and that's typically those that acquired you as a client, and then there's probably an account manager that helps that producer maintain it during the year. But then there's that other client, and it's those that are serving those that serve externally, right? Your employees. That's right. And so I, I I, was in our managing partner meeting the other day, and I had one of our colleagues going, but I'm doing this, but, but, but. And I stopped him very quickly and said, listen, you're not listening to your customer. You've got two of your customers here that really are looking to you to help solve for some problems they're having to that to help serve their clients. Listen, modify, adjust, and then, you know, this conversation will go from being maybe a little uh, combative to getting more aligned. And so I just think, and, and I really applaud our whole leadership team, all of them. I uh, I got a young man, David Fischel, that's now in charge of our um, uh, 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 we call him our new partner strategy, and uh, he he brought it up the other day in one of our meetings. He he says really at Higginbotham we're producing executives, and and I think that that has also helped shape us to a certain degree, but it's also helped us really maintain a leg up compared to our peer group. It's not like we've got a bunch of finance people running the business. Yeah. And that's and that's what happens oftentimes when you're a larger firm. Now, by the way, we're very sophisticated financially, so I don't want to... Were, ta- were you financially minded? Like, did you? does your brain work that way? I, were I've, you- I've always had a little bit of a knack in and around the finance side of the equation. I, I didn't, I was never formally trained, mm-hmm. but I would argue, I, I, I tease people all the time. They're like, oh, where did you get your master's and your doctorate? And I said, well, I got my, uh, went to, to business school at Higginbotham and I got my doctorate at Higginbotham. <laughs> yeah. I mean, stop yeah. and think about it. Yeah. At age 24, I mean, I'm thrown in 
to run these two underwriting programs that probably normally folks would be in their 40s to do. And what does that mean? That so so basically, we would get an opportunity, and we were like the insurance company. We would underwrite it. We would price it. We'd actually issue the policies for that particular business client. And I was doing that. That my, was my first. So you're, you're analyzing. Is this? A that's right. I'm. You, you, Jamie Ice, are bringing in an opportunity for us, and instead of us then sending out to the various insurance companies, to the insurance companies, we were actually their underwriter. Okay. Uh, and you're so, saying, are we going to lose our shirts on this guy? That's right. That's right. That's it? right. And so, and then, and then think about it. It, it, you know, all of a sudden at 27, you know, I'm on the hook for a. Uh, you know, I'm having to run the business, and, and which is all the financial elements to make sure that not only can we profitably grow, but but have enough free cash flow to pay the debt service that we took on to buy the company. So a lot of times you read about that in theory. You know, it's, it's, I remember reading a book one time. It said uh, you can read a book about how to catch a tiger by the tail, or you can actually go out there and catch that tiger by the tail. In my case, I was catching that tiger by the tail. So you, you, you grow up very quickly, and you learn very quickly how to really actually do that. And, that, and I will tell you, foundationally, that helped me really get a head up on the, on the financial side of things. Uh, very well and very early. Were there were there any moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I have a tiger? Like, were there any like dark nights of the soul? I I, I just caught a tiger. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I can oh, hang on to this tiger. I, I can. I, I walked through kind of a series of them. But, but, so. Because because it's like on paper we grow twenty two percent. Oh every, yeah, and I know it was. Not. Oh, it's it's not. No, it, it it you know in life and particularly in business, but in life generally, as you know, you got those that are the glasses half full and those are the glasses half empty. I think as a leader, you you've got to always have an eye towards the glasses half full, but you've also got to be practical. You got to be pragmatic, et cetera. But, but, but you being, you know, positivity is a good, good thing. And I've been, even, even though, you know, I came from a, a family that was, you know, my mom and dad got divorced when I was nine. I lost my dad when he was, you know, when I was literally just graduated from high school, I may have had many a dark moments in my life, but I never focused on that. I always focused on what's positive and what's ahead. Um, but no, I, I mean, 1990, you know, we looked up and we were, we'd lost a hundred grand, which seems like nothing compared to where we are. But when we bought the company, we bought 300,000 in cash. So a third of my cash, poof, it's gone. It's time wow. to figure out real quickly how to fix that. And we did, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the nineties, I mean, think about the time in Texas, that was when savings and loans were faulting, et cetera. And we just said, let's, I mean, fortunately, our whole book of business wasn't built on savings and loans, but I was like, we just got to keep going, got to keep going. You know, think about the dot-com boom and bust. Yeah. I mean, going through that, we, we had a, a business that, that, that we were involved in that, that was pretty much a, a, a bust, if oh, you really? will. And, 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 you know, but we kind of managed through that time. You know, we kind of just raised our head, and then along comes the 9 11. Uh, looked up in 2007 and 8, and, you know, the modern day depression or the Great Recession hit, and, you know, you got banks failing. You, you know, you had things like Lehman Brothers. I mean, just craziness, right? And then, 
who who had in their in their you know on their calendar this little thing called COVID. You know what I mean? And so there's clearly been moments that I would say are challenging, but but I also I guess kind of even my own personal life, you know, a lot of people you know, just would crawl in a hole after mom and dad separate. A lot of people might crawl in a hole after dad dies at 43 years old, right? I've just never been that guy. You know, I've always kind of thought, you know, there's a there's a, a greater purpose up there. And, and uh, if, if it's over, it's over. Doesn't mean you, you're a bad guy. It might just mean you, you know, you try it, you gave it your, your darndest. And that's just kind of how I've lived. That's how I've lived you, my life. Do you think that was taught and learned? Do you think you were just born with that? You know, it's a great question. I, 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 I would tell you, I'm, you know, you, you learn a lot along the way, but I think, you know, I've always been blessed with a lot of emotional intelligence, if you will. And I think that, that, that part of it, you know, certainly, you know, being blessed with a great education, a college education, and went to Hillcrest High School. They had a, you know, when I graduated, we were the premier high school in Texas. I mean, certainly from an educational perspective, learned a lot. But, man, there is nothing like good old hard work. And and I, I would tell you, and I learned this from my all my, my mom's side and my dad's side of the family. I mean, they all were very hardworking people, had significant work ethic. And I grew up, you know, kind of in that uh, scenario and, and was really, I, I look at it today, I'm still, I remember, one of the hardest working people at Higginbottom. That's not me beating my own chest. Yeah, you're like, ask I'm, all, I'm, ask all I'm my partners. Put in the hours. Yeah, and so I, but but emotional intelligence, you know, is is a good thing. And, and but, when when you say emotional intelligence, do you mean a the ability to read people or the ability to know your own emotions? I think all of the above, right? Okay. Knowing what you, you know, knowing things like if I'm really great at this, but I'm not good at that, then it's then I need to, I have the wherewithal to go, hey, I need to bring in a great partner that's really good at you, this. You know your weaknesses. That's right. Well. I, and, and don't beat your, I have a saying at Higginbotham, my, my partner and our CFO, Jim Krause, always reminds me when I might get on a, a tangent about something or specifically someone, he's like, he'll always say, well, you know, I had this partner that always says, you know, don't beat people up on their weaknesses, but support their strengths. Mm-hmm. And I and I would tell you, I've had a knack for being able to identify that, hey, this partner's strength is X, mm-hmm. but he or she has this weakness. And so what we need to do is help them find somebody that can help be the, you know, the yin to their yang, if you will. And doing and, it for yourself, too. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, you can... You can't be, you're not a superhero, right? You're really good at great, you, you have certain elements you're absolutely great at. Or I would tell you, there's things I'm good at, I just don't like doing, you know? And so go find somebody that's great. Like my, our, our chief operating, Mickey Shepard, you know, I, I always say he's in charge of everything non-sales. And it's not that I can't do all those parts because there was a time when I was the chief technic technology officer or the chief financial officer or the chief accounting officer or the chief marketing officer yeah or the chief hr officer right but but those aren't the things i love doing and and he and his team are spectacular at doing those things and so you know i'm glad to have him on the team and i always tell people oh 
whoop, whoop, that's in Mickey's lap. Go he, And then he can guide you to his teammates to help out on whatever that scenario might be, an IT dynamic or an HR dynamic or, you know, worried about, you know, expansion of one of our, our locations, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you, so you ha- have this positivity, you know, a vision here's here's where we're going and then when things get hard i'm going to hard work yeah hard work is a, is, a, is a big part of your upbringing and, and sort of those are those are some of your superpowers yeah and, and and i would tell you too jamie just covid you know taught a lot of us a lot of things right i'm also a very patient person and i don't panic oh really you're yeah a patient person? I, I really am believe it or not yeah i know that's I, I, shocking I, that, I, that that is not uh, i would not i, I really well, that. When, let me put it this way when it comes to people I'm very, I'm very patient in when it comes to people, but I also don't panic. And I, and I look at COVID as a great illustration of that, you know, people, I mean, and, and by the way, don't blame them. I would be horrified too. I, you know, I served as the chairman, still the chairman of the board of, of all saints or president of the board, I guess. And, and, you know, I, I remember coming home to Molly and going, you know, these poor young families. I mean, there, there, there's this unknown thing out there, and it looks like it's gaining momentum. Then they come home, and depending if they're listening to Fox News, they're getting this narrative. They're listening to CNN, they're getting this narrative. I don't know if they really know what the real truth is. They're they're trying to seek, you know, advice and counsel from their their physician. They don't know yet because. It hadn't really been determined. You know, social media is out there, and depending on what Instagram post or Facebook post or blog you read, I mean, holy cow. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at my role during those times, both at an All Saints, at a Higginbotham, is just being the steady hand. Mm-hmm. Now, inside, I might be like that duck on the surface. <laughs> I look calm and underneath, man, I'm just flapping my feet uh-huh. like crazy. But I just said, you know, I like at Higginbotham, I formed the 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 COVID-19 task force. And, and I just, we met once a week and we just kind of listened to what was going on and, and not only nationally, but statewide and locally. And we just weren't going to make any harsh decisions. And, and, you know, we just kind of tried to be calm and kind of fortunately tied into some really smart people, you know, both at Cook and the infectious disease side of the equation and, and Texas Health Resources. I've got a great friend, Terry McCarthy, that's been uh, chief of staff over there, uh, you know, ER and kept a, fortunately for us, kept a wonderful dialogue going there. And our dear friend, you know, Rick Merrill, who's a wonderful chairman and CEO of Cook, uh, and he led us to folks within his organization to dial into. And at the time, you know, I had uh, uh, served on the board in North Texas when I was on the board with Judge Whitley. So Judge and I would stay in tune uh, in, in that regard. But the, the bottom line was just didn't panic, didn't jump to any harsh conclusion, uh, but talked to a number of business leaders in our community. Hey, how are you handling this? What's that going to do, et cetera? And I think with that, you know, being calm and being patient, we made, you know, we didn't make all 100% correct decisions, but we most of our decisions were the right decisions. You, you, you've stopped to think about it. We gotta, that's right. we got to think and make informed decisions. That's right. And that's where the patience. Got know, reactions. Let, 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 let's, let's get together. Yeah. And by the way, I could see, I always laugh because I was, probably the bravest or dumbest, I don't know which one it was, in our COVID-19 task force. And I remember 
our our task force they died laughing when I got COVID because I was the one I was I wasn't bulletproof but I was like come on that didn't apply and when I got it they're like ha ha you got it so <laughs> that's funny um I want to talk about you, you hinted on this um relationships but it's particularly in the context of so so insurance is one of those things I don't know that anybody loves insurance like you oh, love no. insurance but like as a business owner like ah it's it's a it's a necessary evil yeah. that I'm like I don't want to pay money for that I know I need that so one it's this thing that people I think in, intrinsically don't really like it's like going to the dentist or something you know or buying new tires nobody right. really wants to buy a new tire right so and then two my my assumption is in, insurance is also pr- price for the most part it's like whoever gives me the cheapest thing is kind of who I'm going with I say I say all that you guys have or have had almost a 91.5% customer retention, which is bonkers. Yeah. In a thing that people don't really want and are pricing you out. Like it's all, you know. But you talked a lot about relationships earlier. T- talk me through sort of your philosophy on customers and customer retention. And also, even, you know, in the very, very early days, y'all adopted, you know, we need more than just this one thing. We need a lot of services under one. Mm-hmm. So get, take me through your philosophy on how you have sold insurance and then how relationships also play a piece in that. Well, great question. So, you know, first and foremost, I've, I've always just been a fan of And I think this applies to any business. Candidly, it's all about differentiation, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, early on in our uh, journey, you know, it was the differentiation was, hey, you're we're, you're dealing with an owner, which is still true to this day. You're not dealing with somebody that's just getting paid a living wage. You're dealing with somebody that the, they care about the business doing well because their retirement, their, you know, long-term financial sustainability is tied to the business. And so we, it, uh, you know, and 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 once upon a time, I was the president of the Southwest ESOP Association. And there's actually studies that showed productivity is higher when you have companies that are actually owned by their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that translated obviously to customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but, it, but even today, you know, we, we took the, the approach of we didn't want to just deliver a policy and then say, Hey, we'll see you, you know, a couple of months before renewal. And so early on, we started to build out, build out what we call our day two services. And really the idea is no more elegant than this. Day one, our job as your insurance broker is to get you the best cost, the best coverage, and best cash flow we can find in the market. And because of our size, we have access to every market. Yeah, you're, not, is, you're not selling it, your own product. That, that's you're, right. You're we're sh- selling. We're, we're finding you the best that's, product. We're, fine. we're just shopping for you. And, and, and that's where size has been. A, a good friend, but also in our mission, vision, and values, we always say we want to be, you know, a, a true trading partner, the best trading partner, exceed expectations of our carrier partners. And that, if you think about it, it's a three-legged stool, right? It's used the client, it says he's your broker, but it's also that insurance carrier. If they don't like us, guess what? They're not going to be really excited about helping you out either. Mm-hmm. So, so we, you know, we get that best cost working with them, the best coverage, which you got to have really smart technical people that can really identify and go, hey, here's Jamie's business. What? How do we make sure we get him the right coverage so when claim time does come, mm-hmm. we're going to attach and then get the best cash flow option in the market. 
that's what that's kind of where it stops for most insurance brokers. Mm-hmm. For us, it's all about also day two. Mm-hmm. So day two through three sixty five, how do I engage with you to make sure we really can long term help you control your cost? Which again, you're not going to be happy about. Mm-hmm. Probably next to payroll, it's one of your it's your second largest expense. And so we built out a pretty robust platform where on the property casualty side, we've got loss control representatives, claim representatives. We've got lawyers on staff for contract review. We've got data analytic tools. We've got risk management systems. On the benefits side, we've got lawyers to help navigate ERISA and all the, as Ross Carmichael that heads that up, talks about the the alphabet soup of ERISA, FMLA, et cetera, and all the ever-changing legal elements that are out there. We've got a wellness team that uh, head up by a lady named Jim Spears that put wellness strategy in for NASA. We've got a communications department, et cetera, et cetera. And we provide all these services to our clients at no charge. We don't also charge internally for it. And our bet when we implemented this strategy robustly back in the late 90s was two things. Number one, our retention rate would go up, and we did. It actually this year is knocking on the door closer to 94% than 91.5%. Yeah. Holy and cow. and then we saw our our acquisition of clients, which we've already good at. You know, right now we're in the whole baseball world, right? So I'll use a baseball analogy. We always five. We bet five hundred. If we called on you year one, five hundred percent or half the time we'd pick you up. That's actually jumped up to three point six out of five times. And so for us, we've we've really that's been validation, and and we we were named one of the risk management firms of the year a couple of years ago for companies under a certain size because it just didn't exist in the marketplace. And so we've tried to, you know, to, again, it's all about differentiating on the front end. How do I make sure I've got people that really care? The ownership model gets you there. You know, how do I make sure I've got some of the brightest and smartest people? So, you know, they know how to really evaluate and then, how do we make sure we have the requisite services and support? We're adding so, value. That's right, beyond. to bring real value to that otherwise expense. And Mary Russell, who's been a great part of mine, she's on our board. She runs our private client services on personal lines. You know, I always tease her and send her notes and go, hey, is there anybody out there that I can hire to manage my uh, personal insurance? The costs are going way up. And she <laughs> she always responds back very quickly and says, you've already dealing with the best. I've got to go take care of our other clients. Clients click so uh, That's funny. so anyhow, but it's just this idea of giving customers way more. We're delivering hundred percent more. Uh, one of my favorite, you know, Chick Fil A stories is you know there's two ways you can give value. You can say, hey, I'm going to sell you this five dollar sandwich for two dollars or ninety nine cents. That's I'm right, giving value. Or, you know, I can say, I can I can put it on a a, a plate and sing you a song when I give it. To you. But Chick Fil A doesn't have a dollar menu. But you go in, and their customer service is fantastic. They're going to say, my pleasure, you know, things like that. But it sounds like y'all's model was how do we increasingly give our customers better and better service? That's right. And give them more. Um, and then also, and so t- talk about the relationship side as well. Just Because I, I found uh, an old article that was talking about just sort of your sales philosophy and just encouraging people to have centers of influence and 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 making it more about relationships than out 
Right. So. Well, you know, again, it, it, it just kind of goes back to where I, you know, us being producing executives. If I'm sitting over at the 500 building and I'm not getting out and interacting with not only our wonderful staff, mm-hmm. but also clients, I don't really know what matters. Right. I, I might in my head start to develop these ideas that of what matters. And, and I love like the other day I had same week. And I love when this happens. I had a, a prospective client come in. I also had one of our trading partners, one of our insurance companies come in. And and the response from them both when they were leaving is like, God, I felt so welcome. Mm-hmm. The, you know, and, and both of them were laughing. You know, the insurance company, they're there. They're trying to, you know, get opportunities to sell more insurance through us. But uh, it was great from this prospect who, by the way, hired us, which I was really excited about. You know, they were like, you know, it, I felt welcomed. I felt high energy when I walked into the room. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm here again today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it, it just... I, I don't know. It's it's, it's kind of the, a little bit of the Hig magic. It starts with um, that, it's that culture piece. You that's right. It's, it's just that culture, 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 one hundred percent. So I I don't know. It's a it's a it's a great business, and we just have again great people that are there to serve others. Again, I think we 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 uh, certainly on the on the when we bring in some of our client relationship people. My partner Jim Hubbard uh, coined this saying years ago. He called it the Thanksgiving test. And I remember we had a we had a guy that didn't work out for us, and he came in just pounding the table at my office, and I'm like, God, what Jim, what's wrong, man? And he goes, uh, That's it, Reed. From here on out, it's all about Thanksgiving tests. And I go, The Thanksgiving test? What in the world is the Thanksgiving test? And he goes, If you can't have somebody over for Thanksgiving dinner, then why in the world do you want to have them as one of your partners? And, you know, it's just been true to our hiring strategy through the years as we go identify new partners to join us vis-a-vis an acquisition. You know, if we're if if we've got an insurance company that is, you know, not there to really support us and it, it's painfully it's off mm-hmm. on the front end. I mean, there's plenty of others that, that are out there. Let's yeah. go deal with them. I mean, it just, it's, it's again, back to that culture, back to that building a relationship, back about, you know, it's just all about what I call the that people dynamic. Mm-hmm. I just think it holds true, particularly in a business like ours, again, mm-hmm. where the assets go up and down the elevator every day. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's the Thanksgiving test. Would I want to have Thanksgiving yeah. with this person. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, great. sometimes that, in my case, I have wonderful in-laws, so I'm not speaking yeah. to them, but, you know, you could have in-laws where you're like, oh, God, it's the holiday, you know. Oh. So talk to me a little bit about, so so y'all were organically growing pretty rapidly year over year. Over year. And then there was a point not, not too long ago where you started uh, merging or buying other companies, which is probably a big, change in the business model how 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 did that how did you sort of make that decision what what was that like well it, it's a great question so you know we and, and and we had brought in a number of wonderful firms along the way you know the okay. thomas and ryan companies eddie ryan and clay berry and doug dickerson dickerson Lil fitzgerald and rodney johnston who was with uh you know, Willis. I mean, there'd been a lot, Don Lance. I mean, a num- number of great firms that had joined us, but it was interesting, kind of circa 06-ish. Um, we had a lot of firms that, because we were really the fastest growing firm in North Texas, a lot of firms that had maybe not made a significant uh, uh, or built a, a large footprint in the state of Texas were looking to us and saying, hey, 
let's go buy these guys and then you can build it for us. Mm. And, you know, maybe dumb but not stupid. I'm like, well, why would you buy me so I can build it for you? Mm. You know, and that that kind People of— People were trying to buy your business that, that, model. That's right. Okay. And then, and then I had the good fortune of serving on the Frost Community Bank Board, and it was real interesting. We always saw where they, they would just get opportunities because they were Texas-based. It was that old, hey, Texans want to do business with Texans. Mm. And again, my great partner, Jim Krause, you know, he, he actually grew up in more the merger acquisition side of the business is not only in public accounting, but then later as a transactional lawyer and working for private equity firm. And he was always chomping at the bit, man, Reed, you, you know, God, we can build this, you know, build and build and build and build. And so really that's, we just kind of came to that 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 decision that it was time for us to to instead of building out the state of Texas for third parties, let's build it out for our state. So I launched what I called the best in Texas strategy, which is to be the best place for employees to work, best client advocate, carry partner and community partner. Again, a clear vision, clear, very clear, crisp vision. And, and literally, Jim and I kind of locked arms, and we began to call on different firms throughout the state of Texas that I had great respect and admiration for, or other people within our firm said, hey, you need to go call on this and such and this and such. And we just began to tell our story. We didn't hire a, an investment banker to go out and do it on our behalf. We just did it on our own. And were you were you looking, were you acquiring, were you buying mm-hmm. them, or were you merging with them? No, we... we in legal form, we'd acquire them. You, so we, you, we we always say externally that it's a partner. And they, yeah. and this is why I say that, Jamie. Because well, it's, it's employee-owned. That, so that's right. Is. So what ends up happening is the firm we acquire yeah. ends up having to take a portion of their proceeds and buy our stock. Then every one of their— oh, yeah, That's interesting. Yeah. So you're giving them money. I'm buying out an owner. That's right. But they're going to they're gonna round trip some of those dollars Back. and now be a shareholder with us. So they, they still maintain skin in the That's game. right. And, that's they're, and they're betting on— They're betting on— They're betting on y'all are going to keep growing. Right. So the cr- creates an instant alignment, right? So it's, a, it's a longer-term play for them. That's right. Which is a quick they, they may They may decide to hang up their cleats, but— but but there'll be a definitive perpetuation plan in place before they do, and now they've got they've got dollars at risk if we don't do it well. And if it, it does well, they're yeah, make it does well. They'll be great. If not, it it can go the other way. So creates complete alignment, and then every one of their employees, we always honor their their hire date for them. Mm-hmm. So if they you know oh, if wow. they hired on, great firm Stahl just joined us in Florida. If my start date was January of, you know, 1990 was stalled, then their start date with us is January 1990 as well. Oh, wow, and so they immediately begin to participate in our, we call it Higginbotham Incentive Grants. But that's where just by working at Higginbotham, you begin to accumulate interest in the company. And so they automatically become a shareholder. And, and that might be unique. To the culture where they came from, so now they're also completely aligned with us doing well. They probably weren't owners in the company. Typically not. Typically in smaller firms, unless they had an ESOP as well. Yeah. Typically in firms, not I shouldn't say smaller, but firms that maybe aren't our size, typically wouldn't have the the ability to not only buy stock but participate in synthetic equity as well. Very quick buy-in from their team. Hundred percent. They're probably more excited. They're like. You know, tip, I, I would assume as an employee, if your company's getting sold, you're kind of, this is sad. I'm, yeah. You know, 
And they're uh, always my, worried. My owner just sold me oh, out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But with this, you're they're now getting ownership. Yeah. And and think about it. We've, we've probably, I'm probably not wrong on this. We've done a north of 100 transactions, be it acquiring a book of business, be it acquiring a producer. Y'all have a, or, or, acquired 100 businesses. Yeah, or, or acquired a, a, an agency since 07. So when you spread That's that so out. so many, Rusty. Yeah, but, but it's, it's you 100? Know, ten, 10 or so, <laughs> call, call, call t, you know, 8 to 10 a year, right? That's but, crazy. But we've done that, and we still only have 7% turnover. Think about that. You normally read, you acquire a company, and then, you know, 60 people are let go. 100 people let go. Like I read the other day, 6% of the workforce is being let go. The beauty of growth is that we always need great people. And and we're not, we're not trying to buy a company to rationalize their expense side of the equation. We're trying to buy that firm and enter a new market. And then teach them how to grow the way we grow. Mm-hmm. And so the upside is really wonderful when they join us. And it's great not only for them now as a shareholder, but it's mutually great for their team. Did, did you have to go raise money to do that? Did you take on more debt? How, like we, how we created a to... we kind of created a debt facility and, okay. and brought in a minority capital partner to okay, help so, us. So you brought facil- on capital. To yeah, do yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Because you did that aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it and it will, and but it's worked out great. We've got a great long-term. Matter of fact, this is kind of unheard of in the world of private equity. But we have a minority capital partner by the name of Stone Point Capital, and uh, they've been our partner literally since '09, which is just unheard and, of. And is that when you started doing that? Actually, started in '07. Uh, we started with another group, Allied Capital, and they're a great example of somebody that got uh, kind of uh, in, in a little bit sideways, if you will, when the modern day depression hit or the great recession in 08. So we successfully bought their interest out completely. So and when, then bought so in 08, 09, when the world is crashing, yeah, you're going and raising money and saying, we're buying more. We're That's expanding. right. That's right. <laughs> and, and we wrote, we wrote checks too. We, yeah. we, we increased our interest. So, uh, we make sure that we would always be in a control position. Yeah. We, as when I say but, we, the employee group would always control Higginbotham. But did you know how, like, how did you know how to do that and structure that. I mean, you had never oh, done I, that before. It, that, well, we'd, we'd done it. If you, it, We kind of did that back in 89 when we bought the company with an ESOP, and mm-hmm. we did it again in 07 when we brought in Allied Capital as a minority partner. So we, we'd we been down that path a few times. The, the bad news, we were doing that in what was probably the worst time in American history. But, but I will tell you this. When you're a great company, all that is just background noise. Mm-hmm. That, you, you, that doesn't that, when you're a great company and Higginbotham has been a wonderful performer for a long time, you, you can raise capital. It, it's not a difficult thing to yeah. do. But you you had this formula where like when we acquire, when yeah. we bring people on, when we take care of our employees and brings people into this model, it works. It's like that's light, right. It's like lightning. So, the, so that's the, right. You had this sort of snowball effect. Yeah. Of it kept working and kept working and kept working. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and you've done over a hundred of those. Yeah, and and I will tell you, I mean, it's for the firms that we've acquired. I mean, we've not had anything blow up either, which what, is what great. Was your, what's your retention rate again? I'm sorry. What's the retention rate again? So our so our employee retention rate. Yeah. Uh, say it a different way. Employee both retention. our voluntary and involuntary Firing. turnover is only seven percent. 
So it's de minimis compared to really any industry, but any business, particularly our size. Like that's it's crazy. It's gotta be. Uh, I, I always challenge our chief people officer, who is also our chief operating officer, Mickey. I'm like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. And he'll he's very analytical. He'll break out the reports. Yeah. When, when is the book coming out? Yeah, I know exactly. You need no, a book crazy. on the Higginbotham no. model. Well, my it's funny you say that. So my my kids, Santy, Jake, and Charlie. I mean, they're always like, Dad, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. You need to. And I'm like, it's. This too boring. I don't know if anybody story. ever read it. So, man, just some some wisdom and some yeah. great business principles. So let's 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 pivot. I want to. Yeah. That, that's a good segue. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to ask you about this. I I don't know. I don't know your sons, but I know Santy. Yeah, I'm a big big fan of 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 Santy, and I've taken a deep dive into her story here, and then we've done some marketing stuff with 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 her and Eric. Uh, but her experience. You know, as a as a young, I want to I want to do acting, go to New York, and all the, you know, this kind of crazy foreign thing uh, for Parent in Fort Worth. But, but just over and over again, it was just this testament of how supportive y'all were of her chasing her dreams, which are probably these kind of wild, little scary dreams <laughs> for yeah. your daughter to have. Can you just t- talk me through just some of your like parenting philosophy and juggling families? You know, so you're building this empire and then you're also juggling your family and you're very supportive of your kids. What just give me, give me some rusty well, wisdom there. It, 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 you know, it's, it's funny. I'll talk specific about Sainty. So, you know, she started at Casamignano, I think when she was like four years old and, um, it was actually for me, it's great because I, I do work still the state a lot. And, you know, what would be fun is Molly would drop her off at Casa. And typically when she was in a show, when she was in a show all the time, you know, they would they would do during the rehearsals would typically run from six to nine. So I could she drop her off at six. I would turn around and I'd be there every night uh, to bring her back home, you know, here how the, you know, got to actually watch typically. I'd probably show up somewhere between 7.30 or 8. So I get to watch a little bit about uh, what they were learning that evening for whatever production or performance they were doing. And, uh, you know, and so with her, you know, specifically, it was just always remaining engaged and, and, and it was fun. I mean, she, she was good. Casa, as you know, is really a professional theater. Uh, not, not everybody gets the blue ribbon. So you have to audition to get into the shows, et cetera. And so it was really fun to, to watch her as she was growing up. Um, you know, if you just fall through high school, I mean, it was hilarious because, you know, she went to all saints, but then all saints at that time didn't have a theater program. So she really kind of went to Arlington Heights, who at that time had, and I probably still does have a great theater program. And we always, Molly and I always laughed because she was like cheerleader by day and musical theater by night, which was just fun to watch. You know, we, in particular her junior year when I guess the baseball team made it all the way down to the state and unfortunately lost the state championship. I mean, just rallying and following them. So, but, but with her, I mean, we would, I'd remain as much as I could during the weekdays, but I always try to, and I, and I'm still this way to this day. I, weekends are for my family, period, end of story. So I might, I might work 60, 70, 80 hours a week during the, during the week, but I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to jeopardize being there and being part of the family for the weekend. And when both boys, Jake and Charlie, came along, you know, they, as, as you can imagine, they they played every sport that you All could imagine. Oh, yeah, from baseball to basketball to football. And, and you know, we had to do a lot of dividing and conquering uh, during the years. But I would tell you, it just for us – is our family, they brought such joy. I mean, they were, fortunately, Sainty was good at, at acting and dance and cheer and all that kind of thing. And and then Jake was great at basketball and football and baseball. Charlie was great at basketball and football and baseball and track. I mean, so, you know, it, it, I always laugh and say that it would have been really a tough thing to do to watch, even though we'd been there cheering on if they weren't good. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> fortunately, they were good. You know, um, but but it it but we Molly and I both were very committed, and I and I would tell you, her family set a great example for us. I mean, the, her her mother and father. I mean, to this day, they were they were going to see her brother's uh, 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 grandson, so it'd be their great grandson go to a t-ball game this weekend so you know it's it, it, talking about leading by example we always saw them so engaged with their family and and whatnot and you know when when you do that then you can build vacations around that you can do a whole, a whole lot of things we you growing up when the kids were growing up we had a home down in in uh, uh, down at Granbury Lake, and that's kind of that would be Granbury Lake Central, you know. So if there if there were baseball games or Sandy had shows going on, or the boys had tournaments going on, we'd all start there, and you know we'd bring down their buddies and friends, and we, you know we'd again divide and conquer to figure out how we could be part of their lives, and that and that was the thing. I mean, you know we we always have been part of their lives. We never went off and did just vacations just Molly and I quiet time and, and 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 I don't regret it at all by the way I mean I I love being with our kids and we just found that was the way to do it and as they started to develop their families you know we just kind of put them under our arm and said hey we're going to treat them like our own kids and continue that momentum so we just always I mean just always been engaged I mean I remember you know again you started with Sainty when she kind of had this vision of pursuing uh you know, acting beyond, you know, high school, you know, she had this list, I mean, very, or, you know, saying very organized, had done all her research and there were like 16 schools she was wanting to go see. All of them, by the way, required auditioning just to get into the theater program. And I mean, I'm looking at this list. I hadn't even heard of half of them, three fourths of them. Right. And and I was always the one, I think it made Molly too nervous. So I'm like, okay, I'll take her every weekend. We just would go tour these schools wow. and, and go audition. And, you know, fortunately she landed on Baldwin Halls College, which set a whole great journey for her. But um, anyhow, it's just something you just kind of do. You just, Being it wasn't that I had the time necessarily, but made the time because it was just important. You made the time. That's right. You were present. You were there. Which yeah. Is, which is no, it doesn't happen on accident. No, no, you got to be intentional for sure. Um, in 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 that sort of sentiment of, of time, how 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 do you personally? I don't know if you rhythms now or rhythms and habits back then, but you're working 60, 70 hours a week. Then you're here for your kids. You're every weekend with them. You're you know you're a present parent. How did you personally, you know? stay grounded, stay rested? Were there any, like, how, how did you take care of yourself? Or how yeah. do you take it, even, even today? Like, what is, what well, is your... Well, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, back then, 
I think I became a member of YPO in 2000, Young Presidents Organization. And really, YPO is all about, you know, you, it's about your family, and it's about your business. And so it really helped me maybe, you know, departmentalize. I need to be thinking about these three things. And if one gets out of whack, you know, maybe get it back in, in, in line with what it should be. Now, that being said, um, you know, Growing up in a broken family, I was darned and determined to make sure that wasn't going to, I wasn't going to repeat the cycle, so to speak. So, you know, I kind of was very intentional about it. But I mean, really to this day is, I mean, you read my bio made me kind of tired. I thought, oh my God, this guy, what is he doing to himself? But I really have always been about, you know, you know, staying very grounded with my family, staying very grounded with, you know, obviously Molly, my wife, and, you know, Higginbotham kind of takes up my day, literally kind of during the working week. And not that we don't have moments over weekends we have to get engaged, but I still to this day, very focused on family first. And, and, and by the way, I encourage all my partners that way too. I mean, if our values at Higginbotham say family, it's just not by happenstance, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I had a chance to visit with Coach Sonny Dyke and, you know, his learning kind of his, you know, uh, practice schedules and a lot of that is all geared around kind of family. So, you know, you, you have this block of time and you just kind of figure out how do I make sure I manage it so something doesn't get left behind, right? And uh, it's just kind of what I've done. I, I still do it to this day. You know, I, and I would almost say if, if in that YPO scenario, you know, it's, it's obviously family first, Higginbotham next. I'm probably third on the list, but, but I do take good care of myself. I, I try to, you know, exercise. I try to, you know, eat healthy, maintain thing, you know, maintain my weight, which, and whatnot. And so it's, you know, it's not that it all comes easy, but I kind of try to prioritize in that regard. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Are there any um, books or resources or, or like pot? Like, is it was there any, anything that was really instrumental for you, sort of in your leadership or running a company? It's not, you've said a lot of people. You've had a lot of people. Yeah, that have I've I've you. probably been more about the people mm-hmm. educational side, and then if it's something I want to dive into, then I'll go find the requisite you know publications to read up a little bit more. Um, at one thing that I've, I've never been a huge reader just because truth be told time, yeah, yeah, uh, when, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's only a certain number, you know, so mm-hmm. much time in the day, but, but I'll, 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 you know, and Google it, it a great thing. You know, I'll, I'll be thinking about something and I'll try to Google it and boop, something will pop mm-hmm. up. And then if I can get the cliff note version, that's great. Uh, you know, I love documentaries. So I, if, if there's somebody that I'm fascinated by, I'll, I'll watch a documentary to learn more about how and why fortunately, you know, you know, so, but, but it's been really, I would tell you my education has been more trying to be really an, a student of people mm-hmm. and really, again, more in line of that emotional intelligence and development. And mm-hmm. it was interesting early years in my YPO journey, I had a lot of folks that were much older than me and they provided phenomenal advice and counsel on stuff. And now, now it's like the tides turn. Now I'm the old guy providing that advice and counsel to these young entrepreneurs that are going, Oh my God, I've got a tiger by the tail. What I do, and I've got a wife and I got a young family and how do I manage and balance and you know, blah, blah, blah. So, but yeah, that's, that's, it's been, it's been fun. It would, 
mm-hmm. gets me up in the morning. Molly hates it. You know, unfortunately, Jamie, I wake up just like this. So, you know, and then, <laughs> and then I just crash and burn at night. There's, there, it, it's, I'm, when the switch is on, I'm on, and then it's just completely off. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's a great, that's a great, great mental picture as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. I can see that, like the Energizer Bunny. Um, what was I? If, if you could go back to your younger self, and give any bit of advice, you know, to, back to 1985 or what, what would you, what would you go tell your younger self? You know, I, I, I don't know, really. I mean, that's a great question. I am trying to think, you know, probably needed to, I wasn't maybe as patient early on as I am now about letting things somewhat unfold. I think, you know, you're, when you're younger, your ego is such that, you're, you're scared to be vulnerable. You're scared to, you know, really ask advice for people might think you're weak or whatever. And, and that's just, I, maybe during my time of building a career that might've been, you know, more prevalent than it is today. Um, but I, I would say definitely that, you know, you got, you gotta be patient. I think that's the other thing is it's funny. I had a chance to mentor some MBA students, um, uh, uh, at TCU and, and, you know, they're, they're all smart. So these are the guys and girls that are in the entrepreneur studies and, you know, they're all going to be gazillionaires. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, one thing I've always, and, and I fell into it in all fairness, I fell into something I'm passionate about. I mean, I'm passionate about people and I found an industry that lets me interact with people, which I love. I mean, that's the, the, the root of why I'm able to do what I'm, can do. But that's the other thing I think sometimes early on in your career, you know, particularly, you know, if you're just starting your career, you've gone back, getting your MBA or whatever, higher education, you know, don't lose sight of passion. Passion is what at the end of the day, when you're in a business environment, you know, you're going to have bad days. And when you have those bad days, what's going to pick you up to turn it into good days or give you the energy to keep forging ahead? Mm-hmm. And it's your, you, you got to have the passion. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. I remember this young man at this entrepreneur studies deal. He was, he was talking about how he, you know, yeah, I'm just going to make a lot of money. And I'm like, well, let's dive into what you're passionate about. And he, he was passionate about more uh, traveling, love photography, loved all of that. And later on, I discovered that that's what he did. He kind of built a boutique practice in around serving really high, high net worth people. So it wasn't about them having to pay him a lot of money to make their experience unbelievable. And he's getting to travel. He's meeting a lot of well to do folks that are really treating him because he's taken such great care of them mm-hmm. and has built a boutique practice around that and probably doing financially extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. And, and versus saying, well, I'm going to go buy a business because I wrote my thesis about it and I'm going to make my first million there. And then I'm going to flip it into my next, my third, my fourth, my do fifth. Do something you're actually passionate. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, you know, it's very interesting and I'll, again, Folks back on YPO, I've, I know a bunch of people that, you know, if you're done with your business and you don't have the passion, then, you know, you should sell your business, make your lick and move on. But, but then there's also so many people I know that sold their businesses. And when I ask them, you know, do you regret it? And the answer is, yeah, I mean, it was a financial transaction, but I, I, man, I, I oftentimes think what would it look like if I'd have just stuck with it? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm blessed to be in a business that I love to be part of and 
We've got a great capital structure. I always call Higginbotham that legacy asset that, that you know, talking about Saney, I hope Molly Morgan and her brother Mick and our little granddaughter Janie or JR, uh, our other grandson. I mean, I hope it's a business that's around for them. And if hopefully we built it foundationally, that it is sustainable, not only in terms of the structure of the business, but the people dynamic of the business, that it, that it can go well, well into the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the... You know, if you've got passion about it, then, you know, it's easy yeah. for you to jump in and make that happen. Yeah. Well, your your passion is is palatable. I mean, it's contagious about the way you talk about the company and the culture is is, is inspiring. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That's that's great advice. So fi- final question is what, what what is next? Well, what is, it, what is next for Rusty Reed and next yeah. for Higginbotham? As I, as I was toasting our employees at our HLC, our Higginbotham Leadership Conference in April, you know, I, I had him, I did that old simple trick where everybody stands up and then had everybody sit down, uh, except for the, there was 35 year olds still standing. And I'm like, you know, the next 25 years, Higginbotham will celebrate its hundredth birthday. And candidly, I, at that time, at that celebration, I, I will be 85. Uh, I hope I'm not the chairman. I hope I'm maybe executive chairman. I surely don't need to be the active chairman or CEO. But I looked at the room and I said, it's now all up to y'all to now take the torch and carry it forward. So I hope I'm there as a guest and somebody's going, oh, don't go sit by Rusty because he'll start telling stories. I obviously hope I'm still alive because uh, I do love life. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to watch my grandchildren and my kids uh, adult children, I should say, see where that takes us. And, you know, Molly and I can sit back and just enjoy life together, you know, where it takes us from that point. But, you know, for right now, and certainly the next decade, I'm charging hard to continue to build Higginbotham as being one of the best firms in the country in what we do, but not just firms specific and around insurance, being one of the best businesses in America. And I've a lot ahead there, um, but I also want to make sure we continue to give back. Um, you know, this year we've gotten a lot of wonderful press because our Higginbotham Community Fund, which our employees support, have given a number of dollars away into the community. Uh, Mayor Parker uh, gave us a nice uh, 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 proclamation when we had our HLC. We literally had 500 volunteers, thanks to Priscilla Miller, who's over everything locally and and really our Higginbotham Community Fund. We had 500 volunteers go out and support 12 wonderful causes in our backyard. The mayor gave us great accolades for that. So I hope to continue to to not only build a great business, but that business allows us to really give back to the communities that are so supportive of us. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that journey looks like, uh, but I, I know it's still ahead, you know, it's ahead of us and we'll continue to have a lot of fun with that as well. I love it. Well, y'all have made, y'all have made a big impact just in the community, in the city. I know the net is a, is oh, y'all, yeah. y'all have supported them and just, just from the stock show and rodeo to all, all of it, y'all, have, you, you guys, your, your employees raised over $6 million, right? Oh yeah, and growing. And so growing. y'all have we, a fund where they we give. we have a fund that's imp- that's literally funded by our shareholders and funded by our employees, purely volunteer. So it's not as if we yeah. come shake you up and down and yeah. come come on, Jamie, give that's us some incredible, more money. Incredible though. Yeah. So it and it's it's been incredible. I I mean it won't take 
too long for us to ultimately get to $10 million. And what we've done thus far is almost every dollar that comes in, we try to turn around and round trip it. It, it, every office basically has a say in where those dollars go. So it's not it, the only, the only requirement is you got to give to the fund if you want to make a grant request mm-hmm. and quarterly those grant requests come in and we try to meet what those requests are. And if we don't get it this quarter, I always tell people don't lose hope. We'll, we'll catch it next mm-hmm. quarter, but it's been a wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful, uh, a part of who we are. One of our dear late colleagues, Tracy Jackson, I remember came into my office one day and said, you know, I want to give to who I want to give to. And at that time I was on the board of the Community Foundation North Texas, and we just kind of put the two dots together, funded it with literally only $50,000 back in 2011. And now look what it's done. And it'll keep it'll keep going. So it's really exciting to know that, it, again, we've got, but I, it's back to that servant leadership. I, I think our employees see myself and other leaders of the business, and there's something they rally behind and you know, we've got all these new faces all throughout this 16-state footprint, but it's something that they have in common as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just a neat, neat part of who we are at our core. I love it. I love it. It's it's inspiring and and, and just a yeah, big impact in the city. So yeah. y- y'all are in 16 states? Yeah, That's 16 a, states. You, you passed the best in Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, back in 20—it's crazy. Back in, I don't remember, it was 2017, 2018, we kind of launched what I called the best in the SEC because okay. one thing that that growing up with my wife Molly, you know, her family's from Mobile, Alabama, and I grew up, you know, since 1981 going to Mobile and really getting to know great people in the South, and so we we thought we'd have a little fun. We looked up and we found ourselves in Atlanta, and here we are in Texas, and I'm like. What's in between is we the got SEC. Bridge, we got to bridge that yeah, gap. Yeah, we got to bridge that gap. And so we we really got intentional. And again, thanks to my partners David Fischel, who's our new partner uh, officer. You know, we we he, you know he myself, a guy named Wes Snow and Jim Krause, and we've we've knocked on a lot of doors in that footprint. But we've made great progress, and you know, real big presence now in Georgia and Alabama and Florida and Tennessee and uh, Alabama. I mean, it's just it's just fun to watch. Wow. Well, Rusty, what what a legacy! This is this is cool. I have enjoyed this conversation. Well, likewise, so got, many, so many good. I, I'm not near as exciting as uh, Eric and Saney, so I don't they're, know. they this have is, a much more fun life to talk about than mine. They, they do a fun life, but man, just as a as a business owner and leader, this is, I mean, so many pieces. I I think probably the biggest takeaway is, is just the culture piece has fueled it all. Yeah, you know, the take care of your employees. You know, create create legacy for your employees, create, That's create right. some, take care of them first. Um, it's just what a, what a, what a neat model and neat company you've built. So man, I'm, I'm thankful to have heard it. Thanks for sharing it with me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. Congratulations. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Stories with Soul. If you enjoyed the interview and like what you heard, please help us out and share, subscribe, and like anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you share and subscribe, it is insanely helpful and allows us to keep producing new episodes. You can always join us directly in the studio by watching the video version on our website, 6thavstorytelling.com. Stories with Soul is brought to you by 6th Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. You're obsessed with your business and we want to make the world obsessed with it too. Thanks for listening.